Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A Comics and Pop Culture Peaceling. Graham McMillan and I return with episode 146, a two-hour-plus podcast that covers all the best things in life. As long as your definition of best is claustrophobically tiny, and your definition of life is terrifyingly reductive. The topics covered today include Forever Evil number 6, the first issue of IDW's Rogue Trooper, the Marvel Unlimited app, Revenge by Jonathan Ross and Ian Churchill, Vandroid, the Batman Superman Annual, Afterlife with Archie number 4, Nijigahara Holograph by Neo Sano, Magnus Robot Fighter, and much, much more. Show notes are now available at savagecraig.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy... And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! Hi, Whatnots. <laughs> There's something... Hi. I think that's the Hi. first time you've actually ever gone from, like, us greeting to it, to it's like, hello, fourth wall. Hi, listeners. Well, here's the thing, listeners, because Jeff knows this, because I'm about to talk about him. Jeff and I have been talking for, like, the last hour. So it seems weird, because normally when we start the podcast, we're like, Hey, Jeff, how are you? I haven't talked to you in a bit. Exactly. In this case, I've literally been talking to you for an hour. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. Now, we would like to say that that is going to... We're going to pass that savings on to you, the whatnot, by not talking about, oh, I don't know, the weather or food or peanut butter or waffles or peanut butter waffles or the waffle taco that apparently is rolling out from Taco Bell very soon. But... Uh, but we didn't really stop, talk about any of that stop either. Stop trying to tempt me into talking about the horror that is a waffle tackle. I mean, for the love of fucking God. Anyway, yes, you're right. We're, we didn't talk about any of those things. Uh, people who follow Marvel's Agent M, Ryan Panagos, on Twitter will know that every now and again he tweets, like he's tweeting, he's been planning secrets and it's S-E-E-K-R-I-T-S, mm-hmm. like to imply that like it's really secret. And when he does that, it really annoys me. <laughs> like it really does. I'm like, just type secrets. Just spell it properly. It's not cool if you're spelling it weird. It's just annoying. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I kind of feel that we've been like secrets. Secrets. See, well. that's it. Once you it, get them. I totally get it now. <laughs> I feel dirty because of it. I'm, I'm like, oh shit! I totally know what he's talking about. But yeah, listeners, uh, Jeff and I have been talking about secrets that um, you will know about soon-ish, mm-hmm. uh, but with with um, time frame TBD, as they talk about. But it's all good, listeners. Indeed, indeed, it's very good. The only thing is, I have to say. I don't feel like I'm getting really enough information about this waffle taco to to actually like disprove you on it. Like I know, just, no, idiots, just, but just the concept of a waffle taco. Uh, I mean, I that's an automatic. Oh Jesus, no! Burn it with fire. Why are you really? You, I don't. I don't see that. I don't see that, man. Because what I mean, in what in what world is a waffle taco? A waffle taco. A waffle, a waffle taco. taco. Not a horrible, horrible thing. Well. I suppose... What the fuck, Jeff? Okay. Okay. Well, see, this is the thing. A waffle taco sounds hideous if you... (laughs) Yes! You didn't wait for me to finish my sentence, goddammit. I'm stopping you there. That's all that needs to be said. No, I don't don't think so. I don't think so. Because to me... uh, Okay, let's put it this way. What is your idea of a waffle taco? I mean, what do you think it entails? A, a taco made out of a waffle, is it instead of a a, a, a traditional 
like tackle shell, it's the waffle takes that place. Right. Okay. It seems like the waffle taco is going to be somewhat different in that it is a breakfast taco. <laughs> no, see? No, none of no. I I'm not even willing to go down this road with you, Jeff. No. All right. Well, that's fine. All I, I can say is this one right now. All no. I can, see, this is the, a lot of people would say that about the the beautiful things offered at the waffle window because I feel like it's a very narrow like you know. Ta- you know, waffles have to be sweet. There's no element of savory that can be introduced into it. Now, I know what, I don't doubt that Taco Bell, by its very nature, is a large purveyor of food stuffs and therefore insistent on homogenizing the taste and flattening everything out to its, you know, almost two dimensional equivalent that it can shove into your yaw, um, will not deliver anything that we would want from a waffle taco, but I myself am unable to throw away the concept of a waffle taco sui generis. Oh, well, just get used to it. Just throw it away. <laughs> just throw that bastard away. Hey, while we're, to- while we're talking about me uh, disagreeing with you while kind of agreeing with you on things, um, you experienced Marvel Unlimited for a while, and you tried to talk me into it. That's right. Um, And listeners, you may or may not be aware of this, but until March 14th, Marvel Unlimited is 99 cents to subscribe to for the first month. That's right. Uh, And that was honestly one of those, if I don't check it out for a dollar, then I'm a moron. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And here's what I have to tell you. As a Kindle owner, it's not even worth 99 cents. <gasps> really? Here's why. There's no Kindle app. Uh-huh. Oh, shit. So you're like, oh, I'll use the web interface. Two things. One, the web interface is fucking horrendous. Mm-hmm. And two, mm-hmm. it also doesn't work in a Kindle because it's Flash. Oh, shit. So how do you... So I, I, okay. tried, to, I tried to sideload it onto Kindle because right. it's available as an Android. Exactly. I could not get it to work. Fuck. Uh, so I mean, I've I've sampled it on on my laptop using mm-hmm. the web browser, and I love everything that's there. There is an exceptional amount of material there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that is very tempting. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you have this wait for ninety nine cents or nine dollars if it was the regular price a month. Um, I could have access to essentially every issue of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. But as a Kindle user. There's no easy way to do that without being sat at your laptop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it really is just, it's it's a moment of, so this is kind of worthless to me. Right. I, I have absolutely no doubt that if you have an Android device or you have a, an iOS device, it would be great. I, I quite believe that the the, uh, the apps would really, A, be much smoother than a web interface, uh, but also just having that amount of material there would, would be beyond tempting now graham i don't mean to first world out you but you guys do have an ipad in the household right sure but it's kate and i don't like just load random shit onto it well i understand that but i would think she would understand oh she totally would yeah (laughs) like it's like don't you put that marvel up on my exactly so i'm just i'm thinking that maybe you should try it for comparison purposes you know what i mean just yeah for the month 
Yeah, but ultimately, like, if I was going to use it, I'd want to use it on my Kindle. I totally but understand. Like, it would be one thing where I wouldn't be like, I'm going to pay $9 to use, like, to not use my device. Right. And to then borrow Kate's device. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, there's, it's, it's that disconnect that, that really knocked it out of consideration for me. And it is a shame. There is so much material. Oh, my God. It is so, so much. Good. It's amazing. It, 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 it is, it is truly a, because I, I had it for a month thanks to whatnot, Matt Turrell, and then God bless him. Um, he actually got me a gift subscription for the the South by Southwest price of ninety nine cents. So I just start re, you know re logged into it for the first time after not having it for a month. And did did you get chills? Because you loved it. I you, did. You were I did. Really super excited. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I I love it again. Like I honestly spent some time like starting to try and figure out how to justify it like kind of like <laughs> okay what if i just donate this much money to bill mantlow's medical care and then i use that to is like a tithing to cover my cost for this like it's really it's you know i don't know if i'll actually do it that way but oh my god it really is like on on my my nifty new also ethically compromised uh ipad air it is beautiful it is speedy and it it is like having it's it it is for me it's like having an exceptionally deep library to some of the stuff that i i love the best and what's amazing is is that because marvel has been i think pretty on top of it um like the the first go round i definitely spent uh um the majority of it was spent reading old classics, but I enjoyed being able to sit down and read, you know, something like 12 issues of Hickman's Avengers, you know, to the point where I could go, yeah, not for me. Like I read the first three issues of, uh, Fraction and David Aja's, uh, Hawkeye, um, which I, you know, my boycott had started by the time they started coming out and although there have been actually more than one whatnot who've sent me individual issues of it i just kind of put it away as a sort of rainy day thing i i just really love this device i i love having the all you can eat library approach to it the the if it was not for my my various hand-wringing issues with marvel i would be all over this because it really does seem like i'm one of those people for whom I'm getting to the point where I, I think I prefer digital to floppies. I just mm. uh, well, the, the other thing is, and I, this is all like, well, it'll be interesting to see what Marvel announces at South by Southwest this weekend, mm -hmm. uh, because the rumor is they're going to consolidate everything into one app, right? Uh, which will be an app that will give you access to the library, but you can also purchase through it. You know, every, every Marvel thing in one app. I'm not quite sure what that would look at look like. Yeah, but um. But Marvel Unlimited, from the access that mm -hmm. you get to the catalog, mm -hmm. unless you desperately wanted to stay up to date, I don't know why you'd purchase any individual issues because they're only six months behind print. Yeah, uh, I I feel the I feel sort of the same thing. Is is like uh, there are there have to be exceptional situations, you know, like um, like kind of with my Spotify use is like I I pay to have Spotify every month um, and I listen to a tremendous amount of stuff there and there's there's albums that at a certain playthrough like I'm like 
okay, I've been listening to this, you know, every other day for like five months. Maybe I really should buy the album, you know, as much to support the artist, really, because I don't feel that sort of incentive, I suppose, with a Marvel app, per se. Um, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see how things can change up. One of the things that's ironic is, like, for example, if you go to, say, Tomb of Dracula, um, as far as I can tell, it is very, very close to an entire run of Tomb of Dracula. But, you know, the, the for many people, the, the absolute apex of, of Marv Wolfman's writing career and some, you know, show-stopping work by Gene Colan. And yet, ironically enough, I, I looked at it because I knew you can only buy the first eight issues, <laughs> but they have like 57 issues because they only got around to putting the first eight onto comiXology. Maybe that's all going to change. Maybe they will slowly, but the, I would have to say the number of titles currently in Marvel unlimited where you couldn't buy it, even if you wanted to outnumber the ones where sure you could buy it. Well, uh, it's just, so the ones I actually read uh, were fractions, fantastic four. Oh, interesting. Um, in part because I actually started looking for earlier Fantastic Fours, I was, mm-hmm. and I was really surprised to see it essentially has the entire Engelhart and Tom DeFalco runs. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. In part because they were like, maybe they're literally just thinking, well, we'll probably never be able to sell these as a trade. See, we might as well put these up for free. I, uh, I actually assumed that it was the opposite. That as that, far that, as that, I... that they prepped it for print, and exactly. so they're like, we've got the files. It, mm-hmm. it could be. It, yeah. Like maybe they're going to show up as a an epic collection or whatever they're calling them these days. Right. Um, but th- so then I I saw the the fraction run and I was like, eh, you know, why not? I read the first few issues and it totally didn't do it for me. Right. But maybe if I read them essentially in a batch, mm-hmm. it'll work better. And it did. It has to be said. I I in part because I hadn't spent money on it. Right. Which always makes you feel a little bit better towards these things. I think that is one of the appeals of the Marvel Unlimited app. Is uh, it's like. I didn't really, I clearly, well, in this case, Jeff, you spent no money on it. Well, but, hmm, but how can, how do I say it? I, and that is true. One of the things is because whatnots have sent me comics with digital codes. I do find that when I read them, in some cases, I can be a little more forgiving. Um, You know, when you look at someone like Hickman, whose work tends to read better in a trade or all at a bunch to read. 12 issues of Avengers all at a go, um, you know, and not basically pay, you know, you're, it, it's, that's underwritten by the cost of whatever you're paying for it. Yeah. It, you tend to be, you tend to be a lot more forgiving of the, at least I tend to be a lot more forgiving of the material. I walked away from it going, wow, it's still not for me. But on the other hand, I also decided that around issue six and I still stuck around for the other six. Whereas, Again, stuff that is good quality, reading those first three issues of, of Fractions Hawkeye, it, I really did kind of have that moment of like, God damn it, this is a good book. He definitely deserves the kudos that he got for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it's, it's, there's also something to be said for uh, binge reading a comic. Yeah. Uh, there's, there really is something to be said for binge reading a, a comic in terms of you feel more forgiving towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially something like Fractions Fantastic Four, where every issue is shockingly slight mm-hmm. and flawed in a lot of ways. 
Right. But you read like four or five of them in a row and you're like, I'm in the rhythm now. Mm -hmm. I understand what he's going for. I'm seeing the progressions even when it's not going fast enough, even when it's it's not, you know, when there's dead ends. Right. Um, and you, and you get more in tune with it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that you end up thinking, well, you know, this isn't great, but at the same time, you know, I paid 99 cents for this. Right. And in my first day, I read these four, you know, four or five Fantastic Fours that weren't great. But all I, all it really cost me is the time to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. and so you, yeah, you, you, there is much more of a, like, if I, you were buying those and you're like, okay, I've read four or five Fantastic Fours, that cost me $15. Right. You know, and that's the other thing. Even if you're paying full price for uh, Marvel Unlimited, $9 is two and a bit Marvel comics these days. Yeah, see, I, it really is to me once I use the system. And there's things where it is, you know, it at, on the OS system, it is not perfect on the iPad. You know, there are problems that it has for, I don't know, searching stuff, sorting stuff, your ability to save things into the library, for example, um, you know, for some people, the you can download stuff for offline reading, but they it limits you to like twelve titles or whatever. I don't. Um, that that stuff just doesn't necessarily uh, uh trip me up as much. <laughs> well, it, it, it that doesn't seem like it mm-hmm. anything like a deal killer, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like sure there there are flaws, but. At the same time, you're like, you can only download 12 titles at a time. Holy shit, that's 12 titles. That's actually reasonable. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I, I really do. Like, if I had this, it's like if I was supporting Marvel, I would have swapped to this. Because to me, the only real trade-off is that, again, for me, there's people who like, they like having the actual physical issue. They like believing that they can resell it or that there's a collectability issue to it, you know, or they just, my, my friend John is always like, I like the hand feel. I just, I don't, he's like, when I read something digitally, I don't feel like I've, I've, you know, I, I've read anything and Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't have that limitation. If you do not have that limitation, I honestly don't know why you're not reading the Marvel app because uh, why because it is so worth the price well, at this point. Be, because you have a Kindle, perhaps. Here's well, the thing: yes, exactly. if, if there was a Kindle app, I'd be really tempted. Sign oh up yeah, yeah, yeah. On a regular basis, I really mm-hmm. would. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally get that. Yeah, it's it's but I but because there isn't. Right. I'm honestly like, wow. I actually, you know, I'm glad it's not. If it'd be nine dollars, I would have felt like I'd wasted my money. Right. Right. No, and I'm very very curious to see like. We'll see where they go with their – I mean, I suppose you know, for example, the fact that uh, Comixology um, sent around an announcement this morning saying that their their accounts had been compromised uh, and that they had – you know, they basically requested that everyone they, – they made it a necessity that you changed your password. Yeah, that, that was that was a, a fascinating thing. Yeah, because you saw that also they did it to the retailers, and they're like, "So yeah, also you might want to change your your upload protocols as well." Mm, interesting, interesting. So it was like, oh, so someone really got into everything. Yeah, someone really got into everything. The thing that I thought was fascinating was uh, because I I kind of asked. I, I'm I'm one of those weirdos that it's like I've got the Comicsology app on the iPad. Uh, but also the DC app and the Marvel app. I don't really use them, but I still keep them around for various cheating ways, I suppose. Well, don't also you need the Marvel app in order to redeem the codes? 
I can redeem the codes weirdly enough through it's it's really fascinating the way it works. You have to redeem them through Marvel, but I do it through the website. I don't really do it through the um I don't do it through the iPad and weirdly enough I mean because of the connection once you redeem stuff through the Marvel for Marvel it's instantly available on Comixology. Um well that, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Except that very well could be changing very soon cuz one of the things that I thought was fascinating was when I asked Comixology like okay so do I have to change the passwords for all basically my Comixology app, the DC app, and the Marvel app. And they were like, Comixology and DC are tied together, so if you change one, it's changed for both. Marvel, you would, would will still say the same, You would, but you could change it if you wanted to reflect it so they all match. So just the fact that DC is tied to Comixology such that it automatically changed the password. When you change for one, it changed the other. But it didn't do that for Marvel strikes me as potentially meaningful i think well we'll see what gets announced at south by southwest i'm also looking forward to whatever comiXology is announcing apparently they have a big announcement as well but they're playing very close to the chest mm. do you have any theories as to what it might be no not at all mm. i i honestly have no idea uh, and actually when you uh, from what you're just saying i'm really surprised that dc is so tied to comiXology because i know they partnered with Madefire, and i that made me think that maybe they might be looking to to go it alone they might be but i mean dc i i'm curious because because the one thing that it's interesting when i read the marvel when i when i have marvel unlimited open i'm just like jesus why doesn't dc have this you know oh, what yeah I mean? yeah here's the thing as you know i'm a massive dc fan exactly if that yeah i'd sign up even if they didn't have a, a kindle thing just because I know I'd be like, you know what I want to read? I want to read Jerry Conway's Firestorm. Right. Jerry Conway's you know, Firestorm. Want, yeah, you know, exactly. I want to read Blue Devil. I mm-hmm. want to read Amethyst, the original, not the recent one. I want to read, you know, everything. Like, And if it was everything they'd put into trade recently, I'd be like, great. So I can get, you know, DC Comics Presents. I can get Super Friends. I can right. get, you know, in the, in the days of the mob, which I got at the library, by the way, Jeff, in the oh, days of the mob. Yeah. Oh, Jeff. Um... <laughs> We'll talk about that in a second. Great. Um, but, you know, th- yeah, I'd sign up for that immediately. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe they will. I mean, it's kind of, part of me is like, I can't believe they've not considered it. I think they, oh. ha- well, let's put it this way. Considering, like, if you look at the Comixology releases, uh, you know, every week when they come out, the amount of old material that DC continues to put out every week makes me think that they are strongly thinking of it, that, that, that they're sort of underwriting the cost by initiative of digital conversion, you know, by putting it out every week. But I mean, like this week there was like four issues of like, I don't know what it was like a, a, you know, Batman run from, you know, definitely pre new 52. It was like four. Oh yeah. So they they, they have, a, a stunning selection of, like, we're just trying to complete runs. Yes. Yeah. You know, which which I love. It's like, and here is, you know, Adventures of Superman from just after Dan Jurgens leaving the book. You're yes. like, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Or right now they're doing Rachel Pollock's Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And there is part of me that finds it very hard to believe that they would be doing those things 
I mean, there's either two things. One is, is that they're finding that the return on investment is enough that they're like, sure, why not? Like people are continuing to buy Doom Patrol after Grant Morrison left, like digitally to fill out the runs or whatever. Or I think more to the, the it's like this underwrites the conversion, the initial conversion. And then at that point, they've got the files. And I really do think that they'll be switching to some sort of um, it seems very likely to me that the, the it, a limited library looks very appealing, especially in the case of DC, where you have stuff that is no longer sort of quote unquote canon. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, I mean. I, you've looked at what it for on comics also like they've got the Ostrander Suicide Squad is up to issue 48 yeah they're going to finish that run that that is going to be which all is there. Not, it makes yeah. me so happy yeah. but it, it's nuts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no I know exactly um, and of course as as, as long time listeners of the podcast know my heart is still broken that they the commandies just, the commandies yeah that they trailed off is like whatever it was, 28 issues in, and then it was just like, nope, no more. And I'm like, no, please. At 99 cents, my God, it's such a good deal, please. If it came back, it'd be $2. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm Cause sure all, they were like, I they think, were losing I think all their books are $2 now. Uh, all, all the library books. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, kind of kind of, kind of interesting. I, I do think that there will be uh, an experience that, that will change for that. Um, and I should, I should also mention that uh, uh, as long as we're talking about the digital, digital gluttony and, and, and how much Jeff prefers it uh, 2000 AD for their recent, you know, 37th anniversary, put a bunch of stuff on sale in the iTunes app and also on the website. And oh man, I bought so many issues of judge dread magazine <laughs> Hey, Jeff, do you, know, do you remember you and I were emailing that day and I was like, I bet you any money, I just don't buy anything because I don't decide what I want until after the sale's over. Mm-hmm. Guess what happened? <laughs> the sale went on all weekends, Jeff. Oh, my God, Graham. See, that's that's the difference between you and I. You're good with these things and I'm... It's not good. I wanted to buy stuff. I just didn't decide what I wanted. And then the sale was over. See, but that's... I. Okay, I sort of had that problem, but you just pick you pick a target. Like I was for me, I was like for a dollar ninety nine an issue. I mean, because I really was like there was all that two thousand AD that I was like, well, maybe I could cherry pick certain runs or pre things before my subscription kept in, and it just seemed like it was too problematic. Like the one issue that I had heard a lot about, which was that amazing Al Ewing Judge Dread Choose Your Own Adventure Christmas issue i had already bought so i had that covered i was just like well for a buck 99 the magazine is i mean that's in some cases it's like for a buck 99 it's worth it just for the the graphic novels in the back exactly exactly and i mean it is a little bit like the like the first three that i read the pack-ins were so lousy and so enjoyable i was like oh this is great Oh, you know? at some point they're going to be like, you know, here's Harlem Heroes and, and what's oh, it called? See. Inferno. You know, yeah. by the time you get right. to Inferno and Meltdown Man, you're yeah. like, I'm reading the dregs that is so trashily perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I was there. I, what was great was I read the um, the whole Mark Miller 
uh, lead into um... oh you read yeah purgatory the yeah. lead into inferno which is terrible <laughs> it's great it's so bad <laughs> it really was but I was like wow this is fucking awesome like it really was just like so terrible and yet at each time I was like thrilled also, and then, yeah how crazy was it to read that after reading Titan right exactly exactly you know because you basically had the, you basically finished a great this is what happens to the judges on the moon story. And then you're like, I'm going to go back and read Mark Miller's not so great one. Well, but it's still, of course, because to me, it's still fun because it is, it has that for me since I'm new to the. I, oh, it's got the 2018ness, which saves mm-hmm. a lot of the, saves it from a lot of the Miller-ness for a better way of putting. It, it's to me, I thought, I thought it was actually interesting. I, I, I'm very fascinated the extent to which, um, Mark Miller had a more difficult time wrapping his way around the 2000 AD ethos than he does around the the American comic idiom, which is the American superhero comic idiom, which he, uh, I think, very gleefully figures out how to um, pervert. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yet and yet his stuff in two thousand AD feels really unsteady. Like it's a little bit of the I mean, admittedly there's a huge there's a you know, a a ten year span between the stuff. So it is a very young Mark Miller, but there really is a lot of him like there's a lot of feeling of him like, Oh yeah, look at me, I'm smoking my dad's cigarette. Aren't I tough? Oh man. You know, well, I- this is where I throw in the plug for uh, Colin Smith's Shameless. Have you been reading that on SecArt? I have not. Colin Smith being the guy who writes Too Busy Thinking About My Comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been serializing a book about Mark Miller's career on SecArt. Has he? Jesus. Yeah. I didn't realize. And it, it, like, it's on part 24, 25 or something by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great because yeah. he actually goes he's, – he's doing chronological order. So he's been through all of his British stuff, so all of the 2018 material. And wow. he's just now on to the, the, the early American Miller. So we're mm-hmm. talking like Swamp Thing and the Justice League books. Right. Um, but he, he writes about that in, in depth mm-hmm. oh my God. about Miller's inability to basically conform to 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that he just goes a little bit too far and it's just slightly off. Yeah. Whereas he gets the, the American in large part, I think, because he's more familiar with it. But, uh, but you're not even reading like the terrible Miller 2018. Oh yeah. You're, I could tell this was actually somewhat okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Exactly. Cause I read it and I'm like, ah, this is, I knew from seeing various, like, I think uh, you and Douglas talking over it at, at Douglas's uh, Judge Dredd blog, I was kind of aware, like, this is, cannot be as shitty as where... Oh, no, I, if they ever, and I, I don't think they ever will, but if they ever, for some reason, reprint his uh, Sam Slade Robo-Hunter... Oh, Jesus. I mean, that is appalling. Mm-hmm. I mean, genuinely appalling. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there really is that element. I, I think when you said, you know, I'm smoking dead cigarettes, that's really, really what he was trying to pull off mm-hmm. with Robo Hunter and it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's it's so horrifically misjudged. That it's one of the few times I remember actually at the time it was being published, people were like, This is terrible. Right. This right. has to be out the comic as soon as <laughs> possible. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry I should have hit the mute on that considering I 
do accidentally all the time. Uh, <laughs> so here we hit our choose your own adventure path. Graham, do you want to talk about good old Mark Miller and his recent comic book resources exclusive? Or should we talk <laughs> briefly about the first issue of IDW's Rogue Trooper? Cause I, I... Uh, let's talk about Miller. Let's keep talking about Miller. For okay, a good. I think... uh, not so much because of the exclusive, which was a hilarious, hey, how can I hype this book that's coming out? Beautiful. I'll, I'll recant. I which was PR genius. Yeah, it genius. really was well done. Like, I, I, I was like, oh my god, that is... Because it is. It's so shameless, and yet yeah, it my is... My hat is off to you for your shamelessness. Yeah, but it really did. They really, I really did get a bubble of conversation of, like, people, like mistakenly trying to engage him on what it seemed like he was ostensibly saying. And I'm like, no, 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 that isn't what it matters. It but, was... I, but I loved it for that. Like, I wrote up at Hollywood Porter just because I was like, this is so great. Yeah. It's so shameless. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I And I, I, I really he was. Has, I was. He really has made it into an art form. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think so. That was one where I really was like, Oh, hats off to you, sir. Exactly. Uh, Played. Um, but have you, did you read Starlight? Did you read the book? Actually, before we get to that, um, l let me just say, uh, because that is a perfect segue. Um, for everyone, I realize that we super, um, uh, I need to unpack that just a little bit. I realized very oh, super we, quickly. Yeah, we, we haven't actually explained what he wrote. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We should say that Mark Miller wrote an article that was sort of listed as a comic book resources exclusive. I think the title was like, Why I Was Wrong About Digital. Uh, and um, although there was something that was even more catchy in the title, I think. Wasn't there? I, I don't remember. Uh, but, hang on. Let, let's but look. It, it basically was... Uh, Miller talking about why he was wrong about his, his theories about how digital was going to devour the comic marketplace. And what was great is, is that he more or less conceded because this is the conversation that I say, for example, Mark Wade had earlier. And I think to a sort of larger, more dramatic end, um, Mark Miller basically spent like 400 words basically being like, yeah, what Mark Wade said, um, with a little bit of puffiness, uh, you know, a little, little slightly more Miller-esque prose uh, to it than that. And then saying, and that's why Starlight is going to be available uh, on Comixology day and date. I'm on Wednesday. Be, yeah, exactly. On Wednesday, like two days from now. And I think yeah. that's the thing that was... It, it was wonderfully shameless. So uh, yeah. its official title is Exclusive Mark Miller, Why I Was Wrong About Digital. Mm-hmm. It's on comic book resources, and it's uh, Mark writing in his, at this point, trademark, hey, buddy, I'm just like you, but I'm actually more knowledgeable than you, but I'm just like you, but I'm a comic book professional who's really well-loved in Hollywood, but I'm just like you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, totally. Yeah. Which is, you know, and, and, and but it's, it's one, I mean, it's a classic. And also, part of the reason he gets away with the, but I'm just like you, mm -hmm. is that Miller is incredibly adept at stating things as fact without anything to back them up. Oh, yeah. Like, this is my theory that I wholeheartedly believe in, that there is no fucking evidence for it at all. Right. But because I'm Mark Miller, it's clearly true. Mm -hmm. So part of it is, you know, I was convinced that, you know, digital would kill 
print comics because that's what's always happened. And that didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? Fact! It's the economy! And you're like, really? <laughs> but, but he, but that's, that's what Miller does. That's the Miller tone. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so, I mean, at this point, it, it has become performance art that I appreciate as opposed to get annoyed by. Yeah. Well, it helps that he's sort of more or less has toned it down, or I just notice it less. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know to what extent he's still a presence on, on Miller World forums or other places that I would not even be, you know, I'm only aware of because other people, used, such as yourself, used to cover it and shake their heads sadly. And now I'm just like, I don't even follow that. Really. Well, that's just it. Like, he's, he's still there, and mm-hmm. he's still a presence. But in a weird way, Mark Miller has separated himself from the industry. Right. To an extent where it's so much easier to ignore Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. simultaneously helps when he does, like, exclusive. Because there is an element of, well, I don't hear Mark Miller expound about everything all the time now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's good. He seems to have hit a good sweet spot for himself. So, speaking of which, Starlight, number one, by Mark Miller and Goran Parlov. I did read it. I did buy it. Um... I was shocked that when it was in my subscribers thing and I realized I adore Goran Parlov's work. I was, um, was going to say, if you're going to buy this comic, buy it for the art, which is amazingly gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's very interesting, too, that it's such a – it's a very, very different style. I mean, the thing that's hilarious and int- fascinating is is that, um, you know, you basically have Starlight, which is a – whatever happened to Flash Gordon premise. Um, and, and yet you have Goran Parlov <laughs> drawing it in a very loose, like somewhere between Mobius and a very beautiful, but loose cartoony style, you know, that's, um, yeah, it, it's a very European looking book. Exactly. Um, it, it is. I mean, Mobius is, is a touchstone. There's some toth in there as well, but I think that's always been, the case for Parlov. Exactly. Uh, he's really into reducing the amount of lines on the page, for want of a better way of putting it, exactly. and, and, and working within a sort of cartoonish abstraction. Right, which is, think, which is very think... different from the Alex Raymond-esque approach that you would expect there someone to think of if you were going to do a, a very Flash Gordon-y story. You know? Well, I, I think it's funny that you're, you called it, you know, whatever happened to Flash Garden. Or, alternatively, what I was thinking of it was, wasn't The Incredibles a good film? What if you did it for Flash Garden? <laughs> uh, or, or actually, uh, not Flash Garden, uh, John Carter. Uh, John Carter, right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I very much, to me, there was a lot of... Um, of Flash Gordon touchstones, and especially as much the movie as the, the Alex Raymond material, I think. Um, but, I mean, that's the, I think that's sort of the brilliance of it, is like if you can sort of hit the sweet spot there. Because similarly, just as you say The Incredibles, part of me is like, yeah, but it, this first issue is almost like, this is, what, this is where Mark Miller thinks he's clever, is like, no, but see, it's just as much the first seven minutes of Up. That's why I'm a genius. Yes, yeah. You you're know? Actually, yeah. You're, you're totally right. But it is very much a... What happened after... You know, there's this iconic hero. What happened afterwards? It's a bit sad, but don't worry. It'll get exciting soon. Right. 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 You know? Yeah. It, reality intruded and made it sad. But don't worry. Reality didn't intrude that much, true believers. Yeah. It, it, 
it was a um it was a gorgeous first issue uh it i i've certainly read worse by miller because oh it's as as far as miller's writing goes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's great it's right. but it's miller in his uh, the same superior was it superior was that what his his Captain Marvel ripoff was called I think so yeah. the, the but it's the same thing so Miller basically does the shock jock mm-hmm. or he does the Pixar sentimental these right. days those, exactly. those are his two modes and so he's writing in Pixar sentimental mode exactly um, it's it's fine if you like that if you've never seen Up or The Incredibles mm-hmm. you'll probably think it's great right uh, it's but yeah it's it's a it's the book that you get because you think it looks gorgeous. Right. Yeah. So it's, we'll see where it goes. I was, I was amused that it is like, again, it's like I bought it for the art. Um, I think the only thing that really surprised me apart from like, wow, it really is absolutely as beautiful as I thought. Hey, I'm sorry. The only thing that really surprised me was, Oh, I signed up to buy this. Huh? Is, <laughs> is the idea that by the time I got to the end of the first issue, I was like, I, I really have the, the 2000 AD uh, yardstick in my brain now where I was like, hmm, oh, that could have been a prog, you know, like it well, really that's was. You, you, 2000 AD sort of rewires your brain. So you're like, that took 22 pages. Yeah, it's a shocker. Yeah, really but there's, uh, did you see Kevin Church's hilarious tweet about Starlight? Oh, um, the, that... the three panels. Yeah, exactly. Where he's something where, like where the, the first panel starts off with the caption saying "One year later," and then there's two silent panels, and the third panel is like uh, uh, monologue. Where oh, not monologue. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like uh, an internal dialogue caption. And certain dog, yeah, where he's like, "I can't believe it's been one year." <laughs> Hard to believe it's like passed already. It's a year. Do you get it? It's a year. Yeah. And actually, what's great is the very next panel, which Kevin did not actually throw in there, because it was funny enough in the brevity of the joke, but the very next panel is him going, a year to the day, Phil. And I mean, it really is. That's just absurd. I mean, it is. There there are parts in it that are absolutely ridiculous and, and worth mocking uh, Miller for, for whatever reason. But I seem to think that his... I, I think Miller has has gotten this rap of being the shock jock so much that when you get one of his Pixar books, mm-hmm. you want to cut him some slack. Right. Well, I think there's and, that. And that's yeah. that's uh, generic you, not specifically you. I'm not being, I'm not Chris. Right. I'm not being like, Jeff, don't cut him some slack. I, I, I think like, I think the impulse for anyone is, huh, this could have been so much worse. Right. Well, there is that. I was going to say that that I think that sort of the same way that Miller has separated himself from the industry, I kind of feel that Miller isn't writing for the industry as much anymore. You know what I mean? Like I feel writing like for Hollywood all, almost as much as, you know, Frank Miller is. Exactly. So I, I really feel that Starlight, there are little like the fact that he's like, yeah, it's a year later. A year to the day. It's a year to the day since the, you know, it's very much this idea of like, yeah, I, I'm aware that this might be somebody's first comic book. And that, and that somebody might be Ridley Scott, you know? So, I mean, you know, <laughs> I just, I just. Oh my think... God. Can you imagine Ridley Scott being announced to the Starlight movie? A, Mark Miller would be hilariously insufferable for quite some time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also, can you imagine how upset the movie business would be? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting to me is because I do have this feeling of like, 
uh, for a guy who is kind of Pixarizing it, I'm like, ironically enough, thanks to John Carter, directed by, you know, Pixar's Andrew, do you have the last name for me? Um, uh, whatever his last name is. It's like, you'll never see a Starlight movie. You know, you know what's hilarious? I actually had myself on mute and I didn't realize. And I was like, Stanton, Stanton. Damn you! Stanton. I was like, I'm like, why, Graham? Why abandon me now? I know he knows this. And I'm like, okay, just leave me out to dangle, you bastard. That's Stanton. Funny. Andrew Stanton. Thank you. But no, I was shouting. I was like, doesn't he hear me? Oh, I am apparently on mute. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. We are so, podcasting so, professionals, ladies that, and gentlemen. That's right. That's worship us. Um, so should we talk more about comics we've read recently or recent comics that we've read recently? Is that the proper way to go here? Um, Sure. Sure. Let's go that way. What have you read, Jeff? Well, you know, I realize because just like a choose your own adventure book, I'm really just going to get you back to page 34, whether you like it or not. The first issue of Rogue Trooper I also picked up this week. Which Um, I did not. Uh, So tell me about it. Uh, you know, I, I love Rogue Trooper, and the reason I didn't pick it up was I saw a preview, and I was like, I don't think that's close enough to my Rogue Trooper for me to like it. You know, i trying to think why, I, again, I picked up, picked it up, because I remember, I remember literally reading a five-page preview and being like, wait, so the pages are out of order? So, which did, to me didn't necessarily bode well. Um, I think at the time I signed up for Rogue Trooper, like, cause I was right at the height of, of reading the reprints and adoring them. And also not being dumb enough to not realize that the, the James Stucco cover was only a subscriber retailer incentive or some shit. So, oh, was it? I yeah. thought, I thought he was the regular cover. There's, there's four covers and on the back where they, te- they helpfully tell you the breakdown it is oh come on you fuckers maybe it's inside the front cover uh the regular cover is the art by glenn fabry with a digital painting by ryan brown the retailer incentive cover is art by colin wilson and adrian salmon the subscription cover is art by james stucco and the retailer exclusive cover is art by alberto ponticelli uh, with colors by stephen downer and is Ponticelli doing the art in the book? He is doing the interior art. And okay. that was the other thing is this in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, that name rings a bell. That name rings a bell. That name rings a bell. And unfortunately, I picked it up. And I'm like, oh, right. It's the bell that's like, this is the artist I did not like, trying Frankenstein, Agent yeah. of Shade. I, I was going to say, that's another reason why I was, I was not on board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, and God help us if he still listens to the podcast, but Brian Ruckley... Uh, I follow him on Twitter and vice versa. He is a perfectly pleasant seeming chap who has written um, several uh, fantasy novels as well as a, um, uh, I think, fantasy trilogy and a uh, Brit uh, fantasy horror novel called The Edinburgh Dead. Um, And I was like, okay, so I know him vaguely. He seems very support worthy. How bad can it be? And it's not terrible, but I do feel like Rogue Trooper is a little bit like the Brit comic version of Doctor Strange, which is everybody has their own version that they would love to tell everyone else. Nobody else wants to read it because they're in love with their own version. You know? I think I think that's really 
arguably the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have a very strong love for the original version of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I even remember when Dave Gibbons and Will Simpson did their War Machine reboot mm-hmm. that I was just like, I have zero interest in this. Right. Right, exactly. And here's like I think Rogue Trooper is a great concept. Oh, it is. I, I think the, I think the core concept is spectacular. And in theory, I should be entirely open to seeing that concept be addressed from different angles. Yeah. And yet, I'm not. I'm the same way. I, I'm kind yeah. of like, wait, mm-hmm. you've not got like those particular biochips, and by that I mean not just personalities, but that art. Yeah. Like the Dave Gibbons clip art that they choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, for some reason, that itself. Lowers my interest level, and it's it's that level of I I need it to be a very particular rogue trooper, right? Exactly. It's it it makes a because uh, I feel exactly the same way. So yeah, I do have this thing of like I picked it up and I'm like, I mean, arguably it's you know it's they're on New Earth. It starts with him um, rescuing a Souther from a pack of Nords. Oh, so uh, it's still Norts and Souther's? Yeah, it's still Norts and Souther's. I, I half expected them to change that just because it's so amazingly unsubtle. <laughs> uh, well, you know, how do I put it? It it is unsubtle, but there's such a um. It depends on how much lip service you want to pay to it. You know what I mean? Like I it's guess, just yeah. kind of uh, like I think by this point everyone is so inured to. The idea of civil war, I suppose, and I feel like if you look back at the original Rogue Trooper stuff, there's a lot more to. Fortunately, they don't they don't they don't try and overpress the civil warness in a way that I feel like a lot of American writers would, um, and instead, you know, actually go toward ways of like, for example, uh, corporate exploitation, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, of of war, which is you know uh, I think sort of a much more smarter and universal tactic for it, but um, yeah, I just felt like again you know by the time I got to the end of this issue of Rogue Trooper, I was like, well that could have been a prog, you know what I mean? Like maybe two progs. Uh, but isn't that the well? Isn't okay. that inherent with the character? Don't you feel the same way about the dread stories as well? Yeah, I, well, how do I put it? Like, the trick is then you have to figure out how are you, how do you mix it up? You know what I mean? One of the things that I very much appreciate about uh, Douglas Wolk and Ulysses Farina's um, Judge Dredd Year One City of Court storyline is by visually bombarding you with so much information in the visual storytelling, it recreates a density the overkill of the yeah yeah so and and one of the things is is that it you know bless his heart alberto ponticelli can do some things that that probably suit the title very well he you know he's more than happy to draw a corpse or a, an explodey body or or a, an icky looking cockroach um and he can he can draw a, a um mechanized stuff you know mm-hmm. well um, but there's no, he, he's also a relatively spare storyteller. You know, he spends a lot of time, like he's definitely the sort of guy that likes to draw his favorite figure on the page and then everything else can get kind of a very spare feel. And so there's a lot of pages of Trooper and the prisoner that he frees walking across new earth that are just like, just feel like filler. 
you know, and admittedly, if you'd had someone else, again, I think that's part of the reason why someone like me is like, James Stucco has nothing in common with the original Finley Dave, uh, Dave Gibbons, Rogue Trooper. But I'm excited by the idea of it because I can see a way in which Stucco can bring his own version of that, you know, forgive the term, thrill power overload that you get from reading the original super condensed five page. Sure. Prop, yeah, because because know? he fills it in in a different way. He yeah. he he fills it in uh with art overkill, I guess, as mm-hmm. opposed to the the tightly packed story which literally is designed to give you a bang for your buck on every single page, but right. specifically in five page chunks yeah. to make you feel like, you know, holy shit every five pages. Right, exactly. And there are dudes who I do feel, you know, in an entirely different way. I feel there are guys like Brandon Graham, like James Stucco or Adam Warren, where they have a commitment to putting a punch on the page that is is not identical to the way that 2000 AD used to do it, but at least still has that emphasis when doing something longer form that can really make you kind of go like, whoa, whoa, holy shit. You know, yeah. So, yeah. honestly, there is not anything wrong with Rogue Trooper. I mean, there's bits and pieces that I think that I would complain about. I don't. I feel like Ruckley takes a tactic for Rogue that I. He's a he's a little too much of a tough guy, you know, in a way that I sort of feel the original um, troop Rogue Trooper was not for me. I suppose, but. Um, yeah, the original rogue is a weird uh, pacifist tough guy. Yeah, he's like he, somewhere like he'll get the job done, but you also get the feeling that he kind of hates himself that he has to. Right. Well, or for me, right? There's there's varying levels of it. There's basically he's kind of like he's a guy. He's resigned to it. I guess. Exactly. His resignation to it gives it that sort of undertone of melancholy, and also the fact that he is such a still character gives the chips a lot something to play off of you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's like so you get the thing of like he's the guy who's animated and yet he's actually kind of placid and resigned and the chips who are these little you know (laughs) skull shaped things like slotted into his stuff tend to be you know uh very verbally hyperbolic and so there's a there's you know, you get yeah. you, you get something to bounce off of. Um, I feel like when you said that, I feel like we should possibly explain for people who don't know what Rogue Trooper is. Rogue Trooper is the 2000 AD strip uh, where the idea is he is the sole remaining clone created to fight in an, a, a space war. Uh, the chips are biochips that can talk, that have the personalities of his three clone uh, comrades who have yeah. been killed. In action. Uh, and just by incredible coincidence, they just happen to have names that match the piece of equipment that right. he's attached them to post-death. Yeah. So they're called Helm, Gunner, and Bagman. Yeah. And and attached to the helmet, the gun, and the bag. The other thing that I think that I also love about this is, I think just talking about it now, one of the things that is genius about this is that the the war comic as it existed to that point has a group of people and it's always about the interplay of the soldiers in the squad. 
So mm-hmm. war comics tend to be inherent sort of team books, if you will, even if the characters are sort of super one-dimensional, like, ah, mamma mia, I love my yeah, pasta. Each, each one has a trait. Yeah, exactly. But it's still the idea of a group the and the interaction of the group. But I think one of the savviest things that, that 2000 AD did was the realization that the superhero was about the individual. Now, of course, the 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 enormous nine hundred pound exception is the team book, which you know has had the largest successes, I think, in superheroes. But to me, the thing that's brilliant is in seventy eight or whatever it is, when it's still the individual superhero, a rogue trooper manages to create like it's a solo a single solitary individual a lone figure and yet you still have the group dynamic thanks to the chips well also the chips literally represent the ghosts like Mm -hmm. they they make the subtext of all his fallen comrades exactly text yeah and and literally text they will repeatedly give exposition to the reader about remember that we were killed like they will restate the series premise because the series premise initially was uh all the other clones died in something called the quartz zone massacre that it turns out was an inside job right and so Rogue has to go rogue to find out who did it. Right, which is a great series premise. And Ruckley tips his hat to, he mentions the Court Zone Massacre. I think he mentions in his text pages at the back, because the last three pages are like a reprinted interview with him talking about the series. I don't think that's going to be the emphasis, at least not of the first arc, which makes sense. Um, also, arguably, he can't do it because it was like that was really quite addressed in the the original comic. So unless he's going to completely either rehash or break with that comic, like that's what's been told. I think that this, I get the sense that this rogue trooper is sort of an American rogue trooper. Yeah, a little bit. I do not think that, I do not think that this is the trooper with which the same history applies or is applicable like i don't necessarily feel like unlike something like judge dread year one or whatever where it's arguably is canon but you can do stuff that you know what i mean is like i I feel that this is very much supposed to be its own thing which fair enough and honestly again i feel like there are there have got to be dozens and dozens of comic book creators for whom that is um, you know, the situation that they've always wanted. So it's kind of ironic seeing, you know, seeing people in it. Like I was looking at it going, oh my God, the Rogue Trooper comic that I would do, you know, because it's just, or that James Stucco would do. It's all a little bit different. So I'm glad I picked it up. There were, uh, honestly, nothing really quite has the punch of the Glenn Fabry cover. Um, and I would be surprised if I'm coming back, although it wouldn't surprise me if I subscribe for the whole goddamn thing. So I'll be shocked. <laughs> But, um, yeah, Rogue uh, Trooper I'll... is a brilliant, just a, an absolutely brilliant idea that you really would think, like, because it's so strong, there's kind of that feeling of, like, oh, anyone could do it and execute it well. But everyone who's a fan seems to be very particular. So, so I, to sort of add as a uh, an add-on to that, people who think that sounds interesting – Track down the reprint of the original issues. Oh, yeah. uh, there, there's one of the the first collection is out in, in America. There's three collections out in the UK. There's something wonderfully perfect about the execution of the first storyline in particular. Right. 
uh, that is just so incredibly precise in the way that it doles out the information. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, the, the first collection is amazingly good and yeah. it very much um, early 2018 is prime. Yes, it and was like Prague 230 through like 250 or something, and it's just great stuff. Yeah, ripping, ripping stuff. I should mention that it uh, is that IDW is reprinting Rogue Trooper Classics. Uh, May, oh, it is awesome. May 2014, full color, 32 pages, 3.99. Finley Day and Gibbons. So yeah. okay, wait for that then. Yeah, but so. um, yeah, it's the the original uh, Rogue Trooper series are really really well done and deceptively so mm-hmm. you get like three chat three episodes in and then you're like oh wait this isn't like one-offs like i thought it was this is a bigger story yeah it, it, it is it, brilliant it, really well done it, it manages to change that pace up and it really is it, it's a title that is so deceptively simple that you're like oh anyone could do it but reading through power overload is fascinating to me to to find to see sort of how much trouble everyone's had with Rogue Trooper since. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because, so. yeah, one, after uh, Finley Day goes, basically, it, it goes to shit. And through everyone's best efforts, mm-hmm. it's somehow just, it does not work after that. It's a, Yeah, it's fascinating. Right. I, I want to spin off that and go to something that uh, is out next week, mm-hmm. uh, which is the week that everyone's listening to it, that has a 2080 vibe, but manages to get to this 20 page mark and while you're also thinking that could be a prog like that could be five pages to then mm-hmm. it's also really enjoyable mm-hmm. which is the magnus robot fighter reboot oh really yeah i really like that first issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh it's by fred van lente and Corey smith it's the second of dynamite skull key books hmm. um and it, I don't. I didn't read the original Magnus, and I didn't read the Valiant reboot either. So right. I, I literally like what I know about Magnus is this: his name is Magnus. He fights robots. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's the extent of my knowledge about the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot about the first issue that I, I guess, I was the perfect reader for it because I was like, I know this guy existed. I don't know anything about him, but I like Fred Van Lente's writing. Right. You know how bad can it be? Right. Uh, and it's a, it's a really enjoyable book. Um, it's, it's one of those first issues that doesn't go very far, mm-hmm. like literally gets to the first reveal, which is why I'm like, it totally would be like five pages in 2080 because right. it gets as far as it needs to for the first reveal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very enjoyable, slow pace to get there mm-hmm. and it has fun getting there. Right. Uh, and so you, you, you're like, I'd love for it to have been double sized because I could happily read much more of it, mm. but I also didn't feel shortchanged by the time I got there. So that's good to know because uh, I, I've Magnus Robot Fighter is also one that I've never followed. I remember being, I really enjoyed, of course, the the painted covers when they came out were gorgeous, and I'm like, ah, eh, he's a guy who fights robots. That sounds awesome. Um, and yet I've just never the few times I picked it up, it was very. The original series was so heavily in sort of a what felt like I don't know gold key comics style storytelling. I was not into it, you know. Yeah, so. there's so, there's something very J.J. Um, Abrams summer blockbuster about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you can, and I'm not sure if this is on Van Lente's mind at all, but you can definitely imagine it being adapted. Mm, Put it that way. Interesting. Uh, it was worth two things worth pointing out. One, 
uh, Corey Smith's art is great. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Corey Smith's before, but he has a really nice uh, cartoonishness that also has a grit to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's got a nice weight to it. It's it's in some way similar to Tom Fowler, mm-hmm. uh, but not incredibly. Also, there's some great coloring from someone called Mauricio Wallace. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, looks great, but along those lines... Uh, Ryan Hughes does the logo, and it's a fucking lovely logo. Oh, really? It's one of those logos where you're like, that's just great. It's super stylized. It's r- stupidly bold, and it just really works. It, it's it's great cover, because the design altogether, you're just like, yep, I'll read that, please. Right. And then the, the visuals and sights do not disappoint. It's, yeah, it's... it's um. It's science fiction thrills, Jeff. It's not your it's not your two thousand AD like, you know, tightly compacted thrills. Right. But uh yeah, I I really like the first issue and I suspect that the first trade is gonna be something special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um I I think so too. I, I like Van Lente's stuff. Sometimes sometimes it does feel a little lightly paced, but in a way that I don't begrudge oh no it's weird there's always an there's always this weird balancing act i suppose what what always amazes me is sometimes when i read comics that are so tightly packed i'm shocked that they're still going on you know what i mean like i'll, I'll get to that point of like oh this comic this story is not over yet you know <laughs> exactly why isn't this done so much happens yeah i that is one that i actually um to, to jump back to what we talked about earlier, during that first month of me having Marvel Unlimited, I read a shit ton of uh, the Stanley and Jack Kirby Thors, uh, the sort of the tail end of their journey into mystery stuff and where it starts in. So there was a lot of stuff I skipped over because it was like I started from the very beginning. I'm like, yeah, too basic. Now nah, I've read a lot of this. No, I don't want them seeing hitting a, you know the rock people from Venus again. But at a certain point, there's a stage where Kirby is plotting it and clearly and it is so and he's got he's got the tales of Asgard backups in the back so you know it's a 20 page comic the the main Thor story is something like 14 pages 15 pages and I remember reading that maybe in part because I was reading a lot of modern Marvel but reading it and going like holy shit this still has like four pages before we hit to the the crazy wrap up or the to be continued next ish it really shocked me the the pacing on it was so different um so there's sometimes but that I'm well aware that that's rare I'm okay with stuff Van Linte is a really good example of somebody who I feel like just manages to slide under the wire in that sense of like, oh, that's, I consider this an acceptable single. And it, like you said, as a trade, it has an entirely different rhythm that's, that's very satisfactory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like the first issue. Uh, I somehow missed the first issue of Turok, but I read the second, mm-hmm. uh, which is Greg Pak and Miko Kodak. Right. Um, and missing the first issue, I think, is, I'm not sure what I've missed. The second issue was was strong, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where I'm like, I think I like it, but I'm also like, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. So maybe need to go back and check that first issue again. Overall, though, the Golki uh, relaunch is off to a really strong start. Yeah, yeah, um... and and it is very valiant. I think purposefully. 
Like yes. the, the cover, the fact that uh, Dynamite has hired Ryan Hughes to design it when he also designed the Valiant reboot, right. and the fact that their cover design is very, very reminiscent. Yes, of, uh, in fact, once Valiant. you said it, I did not. I was like, "Oh shit, that's a different company." Holy fuck! Yeah, exactly. It's very purposefully, and also they're using many of the same creators. Valiant right. and Greg Pak both write Valiant books. Yeah, um, but it's working for them. Huh? I'll be damned. I did not realize that was the case. That's very interesting to me. Um, hmm. So tell me about something else you've read in the last... Uh, okay, something that you may also have read, Afterlife with Archie 4. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great fucking book. Isn't it? It really is embarrassing that it is so enjoyable. Um, I, again, and, and zigs when you expect it to zag. I yeah. did not expect... And on one level, like, sure, I expected where this issue was going. It's Archie and some zombies. You know, sure. I did not expect the dog stuff. And I did not expect to be so fucking choked up by the dog stuff. Oh, that is so funny. Because, of course, I was reading the dog stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is going to kill Graham. This is going to kill him. Oh, utterly. Utterly. You're giving me a fucking monologue, like, internal monologue from the dog that is so simplistic. It's just, I love this man. I have to save him, even though it's going to kill me. Oh, fucking i was a mess well and i have to say that this is one of those situations where um as a guy who read a lot of roberto aguirre i don't know about a lot but i i read more than i wanted to of roberto aguirre sacasa's marvel work and was pretty underwhelmed by it um i'm impressed how over time he has He's he's clearly gotten better at like figuring out things like how to make his his scene work sort of from a like again the dog story not just the flashback to the dogs but then switching to the internal monologue of the dog which is a yeah. really like I, I I the last thing that I would have suspected from a guy that I saw stumbling through figuring out how to if, more or less failing how to tell uh, interesting Fantastic Four or Spider-Man stories is that this guy is that Archie's stories really liberate him. He has no problem going right to the most melodramatic place. Um, and what is awesome is because he is working with uh, Francesco Francavia, who's doing the art and colors, he is kind of shockingly perfectly matched. Like, there is a one-page um, spread. There's a one-page, like, 12-panel f- f- grid of Archie confronting his zombie dad. That yes, is, with, with the flashbacks? Yes. That yes. is fucking brilliant. It is, yeah. it is genuinely, genuinely just perfectly told. Like, Frank Avia nails it. He mixes colors in, and he uses his colors in a way to bring out the underlying whole image that, you know, of, of Archie raising the bat. Mm-hmm. Fucking great. is really, Fr- Frank really Frank colors in this series have consistently been amazingly smart. Yeah. The fact that for this, in, in this, uh, in the contemporary scenes in mm-hmm. this issue, it's all basically blues with the exception of Archie and blood. Yeah, exactly. So it's like blues and, and reds, and then the warmer, warmer, more autumnal flashback sequences, which are which have the yellow, and, and then move to a more yellow and, and orange way. And then the way that he was, 
It's it he he they they pull some. He, it really is. It's just one of those things where these are two guys who are who really seem, to all intents and purposes, be incredibly liberated by. I, I I'm so surprised by this book. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember us and I? We were both like, it's a mini series, right? Right. I I'm so impressed. That it's got to issue four, and I'm like, I want to read a lot more. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I do. I do too. Well, because it really has a little bit of the. It leaves it leaves you wanting. Like there is there is a little bit of the the feeling that I get of like. Sometimes I feel like there's not enough meat on the bones of each issue, but that's literally just because they are doing a fantastic job at throwing event after event after event with you. Um, and keeping most of the, the personal, there's personal dynamics in there, but they're usually kind of compact. Um, yeah, and it's kind of off to side as well. Yes, It's like, exactly. here's your big event, here's how it's impacting your character, move on. Yes, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's like, bam, bam, d- done. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to uh, Greer Sacasa for Wired earlier this week, because he got named as the CCO for yes. Archie. Yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he's talked about his Sabrina series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you see this? That he's doing Sabrina. No, uh, I missed that. He's he's doing Sabrina as uh, as a horror book. That he's wow. like, it's so much more fucked up than Afterlife with Archie. He's like, Afterlife with Archie is horror with comedy, but the Sabrina book is just going to be horror. Wow. He was like, my inspiration is Rosemary's Baby. Oh my god. And it's going to be a Rosemary's Baby and Carrie, and it's going to be a period piece. It's going to be set in the sixties. Right. And there's part of me that's sort of like. How do I put it? Like, kind of like, oh, that's not going to work. But after seeing this, I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm totally mm-hmm. on board. After after life with Archie, I'm like, sure, I will read that. Yeah, I have to say that I think that it's hilarious. I, I that was your piece. I skimmed it because I was so excited. <laughs> and this is where I want to me open. Yes, absolutely. Oh God, hundred percent. So I I wrote the Gearsagasa piece, right? I knew yes. about Lena him like for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, God. and it was basically told to me as like this is a really small thing the bacon uses a Gearsagasa being announced as CCO. Mm-hmm. Like they might not because it was it was New York Times had the exclusive, and it was like mm-hmm. they might not even mention it. Okay, right. and then the next day, that's all the headlines were, mm-hmm. and that's it. And I have Hollywood Reporter people being like why isn't that the headline i'm like it's one line there's no information and they're like make it the fucking headline yeah <laughs> it was so funny that's all the all anyone went for yeah yeah which is which is a shame because it really means that i skimmed your piece but i'm super excited because the first it's, it's two great seasons of girls yeah 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 it's great casting i think it'll be i'm i'm so interested to see where that will go because it is because I really do. I love the first two seasons of Girls in a, oh, hey, we're talking about sequential stuff. I would happily talk about it. I would bore you about it um, for 15, 20 minutes. Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that thanks to our wacky fortnightly world, we got to, like, hustle to keep talking about, you know, to jam everything into our, our two-hour light. Span. Oh, okay. Can I, can I hustle something in that I think you've talked about before? Yes. In the Days of the Mob? Oh, Yes. Mm-hmm. You've read, you've read it, right? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Although it's months and months ago now. But... Jeff, is do you not wish that that comic had run? Oh yes, do you not wish that comic was still running. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's so good, and it's also such a great uh, Warden Fry is such a great framing device. Yes, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. See, so, that's so the for, thing. for mm-hmm. listeners, we should explain. Uh, in Days of the Mob is Kirby's attempt to do a horror anthology. No, it's not even a horror anthology. A true crime anthology. It's a true in crime anthology. In the yeah. 1970s when he went back to DC. Yeah. The framing device is all of these stories are told by Warden Fry, who is the warden in a jail in prison. Uh, sorry, a jail in hell. <laughs> A jail in prison. Uh, a jail in hell. So yeah. he is he is a demon, and all these guys are being tortured by eternal damnation. Yeah. And he is this mild-mannered guy who just be like, here's another story. Yes. Yeah, and and so here's the thing that I find fascinating about it is, is there is a certain level of um, Kirby obsessive, uh, which I, I feel I definitely am, where... It's amazing. You see the choices that, that Kirby makes and you can realize why he made them and why nobody else would make them. You know, I mean, oh, yeah, totally. He, it, it's, it's absurd enough. Mm-hmm. Like it's got a Kirby absurdity. Yeah. It's, it's Kirby. It's Kirby being absurd. It is Kirby taking sort of his, the things that he in a way sort of resuscitating a very fifties anthology style approach to yep. it. Um, and basically mixing the, the, the traditional horror anthology framing narrator approach with a true crime technique, which is wacky. You would not see that coming. And it feels very much like, as I, as you and I talked about when we, when we mentioned it, it's a little bit like losers in that, um, only Kirby would do it because Kirby in particular does not empathize with these characters. I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's the wrong, arguably it's the wrong approach for the book. It's the wrong approach for that time, you know, because DC is thinking, oh, this is great. We're going to have a shot at putting out, a, a magazine on the newsstands that is going to appeal to people basically in the wake of Godfather mania, you know, we're going to have people who are going to be, who are into mobsters, who are into big mobster epics. Kirby is epic. And he knows the time, like that guy is going to be able to draw a Tommy gun, like nobody's business. All of that is absolutely true, but Kirby cannot empathize with criminals because he grew up in that time. He is not able to give them that anti-hero status, even the tragic anti-hero status that really powers Coppola's Godfather and goes on. Oh no, no. Kirby is, is very uh, moral. Yes. Also, is, is it just me or is the book Kirby in this period in particular, but very, very much in this book, is very macholy anti-macho. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's very uh, condemning of mm-hmm. of macho tropes, yeah. but he himself is ridiculously macho in his storytelling. Oh, absolutely! Like you cannot think of you know a dude who is sort of more you know was literally the paragon of sort of unbridled masculinity. In his superhero comics, but no, but even in these comics, or in his war comics, no, absolutely, because that's his storytelling, exactly. Men and they're Mm -hmm. powerful, and it's all about strength and dynamism. Do you know what I mean? It's all about men doing man things. Yes, and at the same time, the writing is incredibly uh, 
kind and mm-hmm. yeah, see, because you're catching, you're catching, you're catching Kirby in sort of his hippie humanist phase. You know, the phase of him that in new gods really hit this sort of faith in human nature and the make war no more types, the idea that there was another option. So for him to come back to these, these figures at a time when I think he himself is old enough to look back on his tough childhood and, and not sentimentalize the gangs that he was running with in the streets. Like once, once it's no longer the sort of like, Oh, you know, the, the, dead end kids, you know, the, the, he's, he, when he starts trying to look beyond the, the movie motifs that he loved, um, what he peels back is stuff that he is, he, he is disdainful of. So there is a, a very strong, I don't even want to say love hate, but it is, like you said, it's so baked into his storytelling he, he can't escape it, and yet he does not like, and yet he doesn't want to be part of it. And yeah. yet, I'm not sure if he was ever truly aware of how part of his DNA it was. It's yeah. this very strange thing. It's got such an odd relationship to masculinity. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, and it would be lovely to see that. And, and yet, uh, we say that, and for people who are going to dash out expecting it to be, you know. I don't know, a Robert Altman-esque, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's as amazingly melodramatic as Kirby ever was. Yeah, exactly. There, but it's not, a, it's not a subtle book at all. Like I said, Warden Fry in hell yes, is your framing character. Exactly. Like yeah. that, that's as subtle as it gets, my friends. Right. But the, but the, but the difference is, of course, and this is, this is when you, you know, if you, if you guys, if you know Kirby, you know what we're talking about. What's great is, is that Warden Fry is, a subdued Kirby character. So he's the guy who's sort of lighting his pipe and sort of, you know, kind of lecturing you in that sort of subdued way when, but what he's talking about is of course, you know, crazy blood curling, you know, forever torture and damnation and murder. And, and it is, it's, it's kind of it again, it's lovely. I just, you know, like you said, there's that way of like, wouldn't it be great if people were still doing stuff? Would it would be great if people were still if people were trying to jump do things like that in that weird, conflicted, condemnatory sort of way? I don't think we're we're not really. There's very few artists that I feel are really there in that way. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, uh, it, it's, it's a handful at best. Yeah. Speaking of which, in the sense of this is somebody who is not, uh, I picked up for reasons that escaped me other than some, some weird chord was struck in me and bleeding cool. I picked up the first issue of Revenge by Jonathan Ross and Ian Churchill. Um, or as you may like to think of it, Avatar Comics at Image Comic Prices. So, uh, oh, oh God, yeah, <laughs> is it that bad? Oh yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It is a perfect description. You have you you have a character having their face pulled off on the on the front of page one, and the very next page is a double page spread, completely with a, a bare-breasted skull-faced chick uh, 
touching her vaginal parts blocked only by a skull-faced Academy Award Oscar statue. Um, oh, God. Yeah, absolutely as hideous and disdainful as you would think. And more impressively, uh, Jonathan Ross either A, very sensibly outsourced the writing of this comic book to somebody who was willing to write it for a ridiculously small amount of cocaine or Jonathan Ross himself in true British megalomaniac style after doing a line or two off of his uh, wife's uh, cleavage proceeded to write the entire issue himself being like, this is great. I'm totally able to satirize the lifestyle that I am even now engaging in, in a wonderful mise on a besom sort of effect that is going to absolutely 100% curl Jeff's pubic hair to the point where it will retract inside of him in fear, horror, and disgust. Um, I'd just like to say that I think it's very kind of Jonathan Ross to think of you while writing this comic. Oh, well, why shouldn't he, I mean, Graham? I, 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 I think you would think. I think that's nice, though. I yeah. know, it really was. Thanks, thanks, Jonathan. I know, I know. He, that's actually why he's quit the Hugos. He was worried that you wouldn't be as impressed with the I, issue I would be it. like, oh, Wassie, what are you trying to <laughs> Wassie. <laughs> See, man, I know enough of this stuff. Anyway, uh, Revenge is for people who are kind of like, oh, hey, remember that horrible... Um, horror movie that Christopher Soprano was like making in like season five. What if that was a comic book? What would it read like? You now have your answer. Uh, this was, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. Not just that it's so ridiculously toxic, but it is um, really really bad like fascinatingly bad to me like i honestly do like i'm like this is the jonathan ross who a says he's a comic book fan and b like is i don't know like a a steve ditko comic book fan i didn't follow any of jonathan ross's other comics because of whatever but interestingly enough i was like i drew the an alternate cover of this this must be a comic that he ultimately really cares about and you just read it and it's like Holy fucking shit. What the fuck was he fucking thinking? Amazing. Amazing. You know, if everyone, if, if people are like, I want a book that gives me that, like, why aren't I burning my clothes and scrubbing my flesh off in the shower feeling that tarot curse of the black white witch can do. Go get revenge issue one. It's for mature readers. You're mature. You know what that means. <laughs> Um, hey, I read Forever Evil issue six, Jeff. And then Vandroid, the first issue of Vandroid. No, 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 no. So Forever issue, Forever, Forever issue. No, actually, I do want to hear about Vandroid. I've heard many people talk about Vandroid. Well, I picked up Vandroid and I have to say, um, I, I run hot and cold on, on it. Uh, I really do. There's a way in which part of me was like, you know, part of my problem is, if the, if I had read Vandroid, I don't know, Vandroid had come out a couple of uh, po- weeks ago, and I had read it in time. I could have talked about it and Machete Lives, which I actually saw rented from Redbox like three weeks ago. I don't know what I was thinking. But, excuse me, Machete Lives, which is the second movie uh, that Robert Rodriguez has managed to milk out of a faux Grindhouse trailer that he did for the Grindhouse film a couple of years back. 
Um, Vandroid is sort of a similar, like, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if we did a um, kind of faux 80s grindhouse, kind of gritty, low-budget, Carpenter-esque uh, comic book about a an android, a killing machine, uh, built <laughs> out of van parts or maybe he's like tied to a i don't know i have to say like i really got to the end of vandroid and i'm like i don't feel there was enough van in vandroid there was a lot of android there was a ridiculous amount of android and and i have a lot of droid but yeah not there's much van. there's a lot of droid there but where yeah where is the van i think i think dan mccade's art is really enjoyable in a very sort of um you know, closer to Goran Parlov, it reminds me of, uh, I kept looking through it going like, who does this remind me of? I think the quickest answer might be uh, David Lapham, some of David Lapham's color work. Um, it, it, it's, it, and it's enjoyable. And as a guy, as you know, I'm, I, I, I do tend to embrace the pulpy, crappy pastiche as only the publisher of Erotic Vampire Bankai is now available on the Kindle can. Um, and yet, um, I did, yeah. I did not feel uh, particularly for the three ninety nine there. Um, oh, I get it. He's got van art on his back. That's part of it. Okay, all right. Seriously, I, yeah. That, that's not that's not enough, Jeff. Yeah, I know. I agree. Or, or should say, in here. That's yeah. enough, Jeff. <laughs> Editor of Erotic Vampire Bankheist, which is available on Amazon Kindle for how much? Three ninety nine. Three ninety nine, which is a bargain. I think so too. Bargain. Yeah. Ladies yeah. And yeah, um, I it, it's a dense comic. It feels like there's a lot of read there, but it also kind of gets to the point where uh, the first issue sets everything up, and and I think in a it, in a sensible way creates a kind of like oh here's the character that you think you're going to be sympathetic to and is going to be the protagonist of the story. Then there's a very nice sort of bait and switch. It does things. It is it is a comic and it does things. It is w- way 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 above Revenge Number One, for example. I can't really say that I loved it. I will look at issue two to see if there was more van and or van related killings. Um, but for now, little coolish, little coolish. Um, I have to say, there's nothing that's driving you to get that second issue. <laughs> yes, actually, Graham, what I was going to say. Is unless the second issue is a rocking, I would not come a knocking. Oh, see, you shouldn't have gone with that. That's so much better, <laughs> Jeff. Go well, for the pun. Go for the pun. I know. I know. You're right. You're right. So please, forever evil number six. Let, a, let uh, us. Well, it's just you were talking about a terrible comic, and I thought I'd, I'd follow you with a terrible comic. Well, there we go. We're uh, still in. Th- the, we're still is, in the neighborhood. We're still in that neighborhood. This is how. Forever issue, uh, Forever Evil issue five of a seven issue series. I'd like to remind you. Ends. Mm-hmm. The crime syndicate of America realized that the thing that destroyed their parallel Earth has followed them and discovered them on the Earth they're on now. You are That's the end me. Of issue. That's right? issue five. Wow. That's issue five. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a double page spread. This reveal. Mm-hmm. What do you think issue six is about? Well, you would think it would be that that thing has now come to Earth and they are dealing no! with it. No! With it. No, no, Jeff! 
no, they get rid of that in a page. They honestly have a page where they're like, yeah, we could probably take care of that. And then they go on to together. Forever Evil is the weirdest fucking paste comic that Jeff Johns has ever done. Mm. I would not be surprised if Jeff Johns is writing it so piecemeal he doesn't remember what he did to the previous page. Probably. Forever Evil issue 6 finally reveals who the hooded man has been. Uh, and it's, it's who you thought for... Uh, who everyone who's reading the series has been thought, thinking all along. It's Alexander Luther from Earth 3. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Here's the surprise... He says Shazam backwards and becomes evil Shazam. That is the worst ever. That is the worst. It is Shazam backwards. It's M-A-Z-A-H-S. Mazas. That is ridiculous. And then he kills Speed Demon, who by this point has already... Is he Speed Demon? That's what he's called, right? Johnny Quick is what he's called. Um... Uh, he kills him, who has already at this point had a leg frozen and kicked off by Captain Cold. <laughs> <laughs> because Jeff John's comics. It is amazingly bad. Also, the big shocker of the, the issue is that uh, Lex Luthor kills Nightwing. Oh, yes. Except Lex Luthor actually says in the dialogue, pretty much, he's not dead. <laughs> right. Well, in the dialogue of the comic, he's pretty much like, no, I'm not going to kill Nightwing. He's, he's, we've got a copyright. Come on. There's, you know, I think there, I think there's something kind of interesting about that. Johns has done that a couple of times where recently, I feel like in the last couple of years where, how do I put it? He, well, I think honestly, maybe he just doesn't want to be bothered anymore because it, it definitely seemed with Justice League of America, he was killing characters Everyone would lose their shit, and then he'd bring them back on the first page of the next issue. And maybe he was just tired of people losing their shit. And he's like, "Well, considering you know, considering the fact that everyone's live tweeting their comic, this comic, I might as well kill him on this page. Have everyone have a good fifteen minutes of outrage, live tweeting it, and then two pages later, when I bring him back or say that he can be brought back, everyone will be like, oh, oh, okay, wow, brilliant twist.' You know, I don't know." I, I, well, the reason they kill him off, as we said, is kind of spectacular and also very infuriating. Um, as you know, Nightwing has been captured by them because Isle Man's in love with them or something like that. And so they've wired him up to the murder machine, which is meant to come from Apocalypse and maybe a, a Kirby concept, which is a bomb so, yeah. that will only stop if he dies. And it's a bomb that will, like, blow up the world. So Batman's like, I'm going to fix this bomb. And Lex Luthor's like, I'm just going to kill Nightwing. Right. Right. Which I kind of love. I love Lex Luthor's like, oh, come on, everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to save the world. This guy has to die. Right. And of course, Batman's like, no, and punches him and shit. And that's when Lex Luthor's like, I didn't really kill him. Come, come on. on. Hello. Yeah, Forever Evil is, is, st- I actually read all six issues back to back last night. Oh my God. And I, I was like, how does this read? <laughs> This has felt like the choppiest fucking comic in the world. How's it read if you read it in a winner? Right. And the answer is this. Simultaneously much smoother and far choppier than wow. it seemed to be. How is that possible? You're, well, you, you kind of get what he's going for. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. In crossover comics, it's definitely in the 90s, um, it was very much a thing where you didn't have a story. You had a number of setup scenes. Like, And there's a very loose narrative push. Right. But essentially you had like, here's a thing which will go on in another comic. Here's a thing that will go on in a third comic. Blah, sure. blah, blah. Right. 
Forever Evil follows that model, but the scenes don't actually happen in other, in other comics. Wow. So it's it's a lot of like, what about this? Cut to you know some some other scene. Cut back and they're like, well, that was taken care of. <laughs> and you're like, wait, but what? Huh? <laughs> I like characters refer to things which didn't actually happen in any comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's super weird. So, like, you can actually follow what's going on, and you're like, okay, well, I guess this makes sense. It's supposed to be 48 hours. It's all, like, everyone's having a terrible time. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't hold together at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest comic. It's the strangest, strangest fucking Jeff Jones comic ever. Wow. Which, I don't know, you know, it's funny. Back in the day, back in the day when, I mean, it's, you know, I really did remember reading Blackest Night and thinking, like, kind of um uh i wasn't going to let issues of quality stop me from reading jeff johns you know what i mean because black knight had stuff that was so ridiculously satisfying in its ridiculousness that i was like okay so it's not really a quality issue it's really just kind of a like holy shit what the fuck you know he's 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 the grim and gritty bob haney fine but and yet I say that, and I think that really was the last thing of his. I followed it all consistently and really just don't have much of a, I don't know. I just kind of, I kind of don't care. I'm really impressed at how much Forever Evil has been going on for like five months. And I don't care. Probably because there, there's only two books that I'm following, neither of which tie into it in any way whatsoever. And so I'm just like, hmm. You know? I guess maybe it, it, if it was happening in the middle of year zero, I'd be like, oh, wow, what does this mean for Batman? But I don't... I really don't... I think it's... it's yeah. For every evil, it makes much more sense now that it's nearing its conclusion, because you, you realize what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially the Justice League tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is essentially introduce the second tier groups. Mm-hmm. So Justice League has been like, here's the Doom Patrol, right. here's Metal Men, like, and actually trying to introduce them. Like mm-hmm. the Justice League aren't around, therefore other people have to step up. Right, that makes sense. Forever Evil kind of makes sense insofar as it's you know we've not really explored the villains. Let's try and explore the villains and show them that there is some motivation beyond they're just bad guys for the sake of being bad. Right. Because that's what the crime syndicate are. The crime syndicate are there to be the generic villains that the, the regular villains play against right. in order to theoretically provide some complexity to the, the, the regular villains. Right. Um, it's just that all of it is done so poorly. Mm-hmm. That you're honestly left thinking, well, I see what you're going for, but you've not really succeeded. Right. Right. And there's also, to me, I, and I know we talked about this briefly, so I really won't bore everyone uh, by bringing it up again. But there is a little bit of the sense of, I feel like Dan Tadio is making everyone rehash his three ideas that he tried, you know, half a decade ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, like, core DC ideas now. Mm-hmm. And by it, core, I mean ones they will just do over again until they stick. Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of like, okay, here's our evil win storyline, but we're also kind of combining it with the where are the heroes storyline, 
you know, and next we're coming up with our, and then we're going to jump five years in the future storyline. Yeah. And here's our OMAC storyline. Yeah. Here's, here's our brother. I is a big evil computer storyline. Right. Oh, right. Exactly. Which was also a big chunk of that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it where it's kind of like, I feel like this stuff is all stuff that I sort of have gone through before, but also unfortunately when I was a lot more invested with the universe, you know? I'm well, just... yeah, that, that's just it. It's nuts to me that they're doing it like 10 years after they did it last time. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. here's stuff I've gone through before in the last decade. Yeah. In the last decade and in a universe that is less settled and so therefore the stakes actually seem smaller for the most part. You know? Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's one of the big problems with Forever Evil's uh, timing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to do a story about, oh shit, the Justice League are gone, mm-hmm. do, uh, do it later than two years when the Justice League have been in like four stories and never really shown value to the universe. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it really is that idea of like, how unmoored can everyone be? The JLA still, you know, the Justice League are have barely been around. They've barely been in public. There's very few adventures and there's really not much of a sense of, it is one of the things that I find fascinating about the new 52 is, is that there's a lot of the traditional falling back on like the, Oh my God, aren't our stalwarts fantastic. Um, that made more sense in the old DC and makes very little sense in the new DC. And, and, and admittedly, I'm not following a lot of titles, so maybe it really doesn't have that. But, you know, when people are like, sort of like when I was following flash and a lot of people were like, "Yay, it's a flash. I'm like, I don't feel like people would actually be in that corner yet. You know, it's like you guys made it a point to roll it back to this. You know what I mean? It's kind of this idea of like, I don't understand. Everybody loves my funky chicken move. I, I'm doing the funky chicken. Is it the fact that it's now, you know, ele- electronica that, I mean, it worked great with disco. Why isn't everyone? I don't get it. You know, that's like easily the most retarded analogy I've ever made. Uh, and I'm sorry. No, but it's really retarded. Yes. <laughs> well, first of all, you should be. Secondly, yes. mm-hmm. um, it, it's a big problem with the new 52, which mm-hmm. is, they try to make, they tried to do with the character's history in order to bring on new readers. But then they tried to introduce tropes that are in no way earned. Yes, exactly. You can't be like, and the world loves these guys because you've shown us no reason why they should. Exactly. Like we have to take everything on faith. And so when your plot is then, but why, you know, should they? Right. Then the reader isn't like, what do you mean? The reader's like, I don't know, should they? Like, there's no yeah. reason to care. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of things that they, they've kicked out from under themselves. And it's a lot of things that, that they're sort of flailing. They're trying to, yeah, it's really a fascinating, fascinating mess. I'm... Uh, there are times, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I, I was talking just for the briefest period of time uh with hibbs about james robinson because um robinson had a signing out at the uh comics outpost Outpost, yeah yeah. comics experience outpost i think it's called now the the sister store um and i missed the signing but i made a point to tweet about it and then i was asking hibbs a little bit about the whole process and i really am surprised it's so sad that robinson is not working for dc anymore like when and and 
seems to have ended up being alienated by DC's current regime when he really seemed to be one of the few guys who was able to sort of know how to play with that cognitive dissonance that the new 52 needs so badly, you know, of like, oh, we know these figures or do we, but we do, but do we, you know, kind of thing. Like, I feel like he was able to do that. In fact, I feel like he's for the most part able to do a, like make the new seem familiar or the familiar seem new in a way that the, the, the new 52 needs in spades. I just feel like they don't, at least for myself, from my remove, there's very few things that I feel draw me. And, and because I do pick up the books, um, you know, there's there's two pages of New 52 ad at the end of Batman or Batman and Two-Face or whatever, the Channel 52 stuff. But when I pick it up and it shows, like, Wonder Woman fighting Zod and Zodette... You know, Ursa. I don't. I don't know what the new, the, what the Man of Steel. Feora. Feora. Wow. Um. You know, I was just like, I don't. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm amazed. You're at, like okay. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I'm just kind of amazed that there's sort of like, the DC really seems sort of kind of stuck in a stuck in a rut that, at least for you know that I just I wish I could you know I don't know for sure. That's just how it seems to me from the distance well, of it. Yeah, it, part of it is uh, it, part of it is you're totally right. Hmm. Uh, but there are books that are not in the rut, and right. it's kind of a shame that they are sort of stuck in the middle of that. I also get sent the uh, Batman Superman annual mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. and it's really strong. Mm-hmm. It's also really strong in a it's a 1980s annual sense. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Where it's right. like a done in one, but it's a done in one that's kind of connected to. Uh, continuity and has lots of guest stars right you know you're sort of you're like i i know entirely what this is yeah uh, and so it's superman and batman and mong they've beaten mongol in the regular title i guess i don't read superman and batman mm-hmm. um and mongol son arrives with war world and it's just like okay now we're gonna kick your ass that's just what we do. But we're going to kick us. You have to come and be part of our gladiatorial games and you have to bring two people to help you each. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, well, it's Supergirl and Bad Girl and Crypto and Steel and someone else is involved as well. I can't remember. Right. Um, and you're like, I totally know what that setup is. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I recognize this. It's done. It's done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the revolving art teams that happens in every fucking DC book these days, it seems. Uh, but like, you know, it's Jay Lee, Philip Tan being incredibly solid. Mm. Like, Philip Tan is not no an artist relief. I tend to think of as solid, but like, yeah. so it's, it's a Jay Lee, Kenneth Rockefeller, and Philip Tan. And Philip Tan manages to somehow synthesize Jay Lee and Philip Rock- and Kenneth Rockefeller. Wow. I, I didn't really recognize his art at all. I had to check the credits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's like, it's a solid book. It's one of those things where you're like, I totally might tell people to buy this if it wasn't $6. Six bucks. Six yes, bucks, Yes, it's five ninety nine, Which is just, that's an expensive comic. And yeah. it's only, I mean, it can't be more than 40 pages, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, maybe not. Right. Right. That's a shame. That is a shame. Because um, it, it's a good comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, 
yeah, the pricing thing, that's, that's such a hard area for me to go because it is sort of, uh, the, the, <laughs> cause there are times where I'm like, you know, that, that money seems, I don't know, there's just, there is just something about that where it's like the few annuals that I've bought, like I bought the Detective Comics 27 or whatever, which I think was even more because of course it was like an 80 page giant. So they charge you $8 or $9 for it. And I was just like, what the hell am I doing? Like, there's they comics seem to have hit this weird thing where the economies of scale are such that the annuals and the are just become kind of like I'm not really sure that that's you know I don't think that's worth it. Also, I should right. say I've just counted up the, the story pages in Batman Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's thirty eight pages for six dollars. Right, thirty eight. Right. You which know, is fucking nuts. Yeah, it is. And there are ways in which people, I think, very sensibly can turn around and go like, well, uh, you know, two-hour movie and, I don't know, look how much you're paying for an album now or, you know, whatever. And it, But it still doesn't it still doesn't weirdly sit right with me. I don't know. It's very... Yeah, I, it's, it's, but it is funny. Like, I would have no problem renting, you know, a couple of movies for, you know, six bucks or whatever. Right, exactly. So, but, but for some reason, like I would, I wouldn't buy that comic in the circus at six bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough because I really am. There's a way in which I'm like, oh yeah, four I would consider, and that seems like a part of largesse. But four is the regular. Four is what a, four is what a regular Marvel comic is these yeah, days. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's kind of interesting. I'm kind of getting to that point where. Like like when I made that joke about revenge, I was like, "Oh, I did only pay two ninety nine. I'm getting to the point where that's starting to seem like a deal now." And there's there's a weird way in which my brain is. There's something really wrong when that seems like a deal, though. Yeah. And here's the thing: Are you also at the point where you're like two ninety nine, and your brain doesn't make the connection that's actually three dollars? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I've always been in that zone for a while, but it's really funny because because that's. To me, that's the secret of pricing. Is yeah, because you know, I cause I read that as two dollars. Like mm-hmm. my brain is like that's two dollars, and it's not. Yeah, well, it's see, not. But this is the thing that I think is really funny. This is where I think the pricing thing sets in. Two ninety nine seems like two dollars to me, which it isn't. But three ninety nine seems like four dollars to me. I no, I totally understand that. I I totally understand that. You know, and so it's one of those weird well, situations. Where... Like the, the Batman Superman annual is five ninety nine, but I'm like six dollars. Exactly. That, you don't see just it as what five it bucks. Is. Yeah, there there is some sort of weird tipping point there. Um, okay, so I've got a few things that I would like to talk about very uh, somewhat briefly. Um, uh, shit, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything. Let me just say, so that go go. I read the first rounds. Um, right. The about a couple, maybe a month ago, I was waiting um, in front of a comic book store for a friend to show up to have lunch. And I decided to walk into that comic book store to clear to kill time while they were waiting for me. And, I, and at a certain point, after spending like six minutes in there, I was like, well, I pretty much have to buy something now. Um, I ended up picking up the first issue of Bob Fingerman's uh, Minimum Wage, the return to minimum wage. And I was I have a very hand wringy sort of thing about Fingerman in that I then turned around and bought his second issue of Minimum Wage. And I'm sure I'm on for the third. But there's something really interesting that I wish I didn't have such a small amount of time to talk about that is this weird frustration with Fingerman's work in that I find that his dialogue 
is um in some ways it's sort of low rent Brian Bendisy in that it's very distinctive, it's very entertaining, it's very pop culture filled, and it's a fun read, it's a distinctive voice, but at a certain point you sort of start wondering if all of the characters have that exact same distinctive voice. Um that's problematic and Fingerman's illustration style is lovely like he's got a a very cartoony he sort of seems from a kind of the Mort Drucker mad caricature school where he somehow manages to make people look like they are built out of various processed foodstuffs and yet still be very distinctly uh, 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 not just a human being but a specific type of person that you know and recognize and yet I also find his cartooning lacks a sort of cartoonish vitality. So the second issue of Minimum Wage, which I read and sort of and enjoyed at the same time, I also felt that it was kind of a weirdly inert mass by the time I got to the end of it. So if we ha- if I didn't have like three other books that I wanted to mention really quickly and two I wanted to praise very highly – um, I would probably spend some time like poking your brain about that, and if you had similar reactions. So, well, why do I actually read the couple of issues, and yeah. and we talk about it next time? Okay, that sounds good. Um, I didn't mention it last time when we talked. Uh, I enjoyed the first issue of The Fuse by Anthony Johnson and Justin Greenwood. Oh, that's yes. that's on my list as well to say I enjoyed. Okay, good, good, good. Um, particularly for those of us, again, it's it's something where th- there's something that's somewhat 2000 AD-ish about the about the concept, very much so, in fact. Um, but I, I felt that it that its pacing is perfect for what it is, and did a great job of introducing the the characters, their conflicts, and the setup without being. It, it doing that thoroughly, but without being uh, heavy handed in any way. So I really enjoyed the first issue of it and we'll be coming back. I'm looking forward to the, the second um, walking dead and velvet. I think I will skip over just to mention that they are walking dead and velvet and I'm reading them. Um, but I really <laughs> wanted to take a moment. Oh God. Cause we've still got to talk about Avengers too. I'm completely thrown off by I, all this stuff. I, I, have to I do. don't think we're going to have to talk about Avengers today. Shit. Uh, Scooby-Doo team up. Number three was terrific. Uh, I liked it even more than the first issue. The second issue is sitting around somewhere unread. I read that first issue to my four year old niece, June, and she thought it was, she loved it. And what was great was having her reading it to her and her being like, wait, Batman and Scooby-Doo are like in the same place. <laughs> it was great. It really was like exactly. You're what like you the want. same fictional universe. Yeah, dude. they're right there. She You're like three years there. old and they're crossing over. This exactly. is a crossover. It's a crossover. Exactly. Yeah. The, just trying to break her brain with that. The third issue has Batmite and um, I, as much as I was like, oh, I like Batmite, but this isn't going to go anywhere new. It does, uh, in a in a way that, of course, if you spent like three seconds thinking about, you would figure out. But I don't really want to spoil for you. But let me just say, it's it, it's it it is exactly what you'd expect from Charlie Fish in the sense of he knows where he knows he knows the 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 lay of the land, and he also knows where he wants to take you. That's somewhere 
new in the lay of the land. So that was a tremendously satisfying uh, individual issue that I recommend for all ages readers. Scooby-Doo team up number three. And then I have to mention uh, Nishigahara Holograph by Anil Asano that was published by Fanographic Books this week and came out. It is fucking phenomenal. I, it is one of my favorite books of the year. Um, I'm incredibly behind the times. Of course, when I looked up, I was like, I bet Joe McCulloch wrote about this book for the Comics Journal in his Comics of the Week column. And of course, Joe McCulloch not only is, you know, is is all over Neo Asano. New manga writer artist to me, uh, Nishikahara Holograph came out, I, I want to say maybe 10 years ago. It is a stunning piece of work. It is a graphic novel about the residents of a town who um, it's a ghost story in many ways. Um, it very much in the sort of unsettling what is happening vibe. It has dual timelines because everyone you encounter in the story is haunted by an incident that happens in the past. And one of the things that is truly amazing about the book is incident that you think they're haunted by isn't always the same on a person for person basis. Or if it is, they are not haunted in the same way about it. It is a tremendous book about bullying. Um, and more than anything else, it is about adolescence and bullying and the, the way in which bullies and victims are intertwined and can change roles depending on the situation which you keep them in it is a fucking phenomenal book it the the ending goes a little i'm a big fan of melodrama but i found myself being like man it's a little too it's not where i expected it would go like it's very much like and it is it's very much a um a puzzle you know you mentioned jj abrams weirdly enough if you can imagine uh like the people who like, if you can imagine a weird cross of, like, Lost and Twin Peaks, I guess if you don't read manga, that would be the way I would try and describe it, sell it to you. Um, with the, the interplay of the dual timelines and the things you begin to suspect about characters, um, it is... By the time you get to the end, you're like, okay, these are the two characters that you know have to be connected in a certain way. And then the way they connect, you're like, eh. But everything else, so shocking and surprising and fresh. And I'm a tremendous fan of the artist now and I'm eager to track down everything else that they've done. The book itself is a gorgeously designed hardcover that is not cheap, $29.99, but uh, I absolutely completely loved and can recommend. I really think I would love for you to read it, Graham, because I would just I'd be dying to know what you would think of it. I didn't even know it existed until I saw you talking about it on Twitter, and I'm really glad you talked about it here, because now I'm like, well, I'll be reading that then. Yeah, I really think that you should. I think everyone it, should, but I would love to, us to talk about it. In interestingly enough, not only did you were you talking about it on Twitter yesterday, but so were a lot of other people. Oh, really? And, and like a disparate number of people. Do you know what I mean? Like people mm -hmm. who aren't massive comic fans, people who are massive comic fans, people who don't seem to be in each other's circles. Right, And so that was one of the things where I was like, huh, I, I have no idea what this book is, but I should clearly find out because lots of people are talking about it. Yeah, I would be fascinated. I personally 
part of me... Is this one of the books where you think I won't enjoy it and you want me to read it because you think I won't? Um, There's a split. Let's put it that way. I personally, I suspect that you will like it a lot, despite the fact that I know part of the thing that turns my crank which is the some of the formalist construction is not a thing that is tends to turn your crank. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's a you thing very much. It's very much a me thing, and I feel like I'm also a big fan of sort of dread soaked Lynchian narratives in a way that you <laughs> are not, I suppose, for the most part. And yet, at the same time, I also feel that you it's going to resonate for you in a way that you will that that you'll enjoy so that's that's my if i had to put if i was a betting man i would be giving like it's like 70 30 that you'll enjoy it or maybe 60 40 but um but i would be really i either way i would be really fascinated to get you're like 50 50 did i say 50 50 i mean (laughs) 40, 40, 60. We'll see that depending on how long I think about it. Yeah, I could totally like, yeah, I will start hedging my bets even further. But um, yeah, you should read it. I think everyone should read it. If you've got like, however you can get a hold of it, definitely do. Fucking, fucking phenomenal piece. And, and Fanographics did a tremendously great job putting it together. I, I think that's a good place to leave it. We've done two hours. But I so wanted to talk about Avengers. Can't we talk about it for like five minutes? <laughs> this is what's very funny, dear listener, is that Jeff and I were actually emailing each other about Avengers earlier on today because we were both so excited about what is happening with Avengers. I have a question to ask you, though, Jeff. Yes. Did you read further than issue 62? I read issue, I want to say 63 or 64, which is like the introduction of the new Goliath and the resolution of that storyline, which I think is issue 64. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, how do I put Just, it? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, totally, totally, totally. So, so. So, so part so, of me wonders if we should do like the next, we should read the next 12 and then do like okay. the next 25. Let's do that. Uh, ne- right. Next week. Because here's the thing. If we said what we both thought about the current, like the issues 50 through 62, right. we would be incredibly positive because I think we both agreed that like this is where Avengers becomes Avengers for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in an amazing, like, like... It snaps into place. Yeah, it, it really is. Graham in an earlier uh, email compared it to, like, when Sinnott comes on to Fantastic Four. And it's pretty much that close. Like, you, it's like watching a bunch of things just snap into focus. And you sort of figure that it would be sort of a lot more piecemeal, but compared to everything that the long, slow slog of it seeming like the same comic book, you know... Every issue, the same fill-in issue, every issue, it's a huge, huge change of pace. Like, extraordinary. And and see, I read read way past that. I read up to, like, 70 or something. See, I knew you would overread. That's part of why I went and stopped at 62. I got super excited. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. It happens in place, and then it immediately falls back out. Mm, I can imagine. It's and that, of... that's why, that's why I'm like, Jeff, you sh- you've got to read on. Cause yeah. it's fascinating to get everything right. Like, uh, 50 through 62 is when you get, uh, the Black Panther, you get Ultron, you get Yellow Jacket. And like, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, like, and they, the vision, all... the first appearance of yeah. the vision, which, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's all like within like a four issue spread. Yeah. 
And it's, it's, it's so focused. It's so great. And then almost immediately afterwards, when Basima, John Basima leaves the book, it falls to shit. Oh, I'm sure. I am totally sure. Because amazingly, like Thomas completely loses his focus. Yeah. I, I think so because there's, because there's a couple of things. One is I feel that Basima well, first off, with the Marvel spread, you know, Marvel working in the Marvel method, it's interesting to imagine how much Basima is sort of literally physically plotting. I mean, there's stuff that is clearly what Thomas wants to do, but the way that Basima wants to do it is a huge influence on things. Um, yes. I, and, and so there's a lot of stuff that really, I mean, the perfect example of that really to me is the vision where you have Thomas doing all of the little sort of like sort of kind of constructing his little mini mega epic behind the scenes with Ultron and Jarvis and the Crimson Cowl and all this sort of great, you know, reversals and things. But you have you end up with the creation of of super, super Basima E character that he does that he instantly imbues with with the John Basima sensibility. Like the the vision really is that you know where that even an android can cry thing that everyone has sort of ripped off and he parodied and mocked and and tried to recapture. So much of that comes from Basima's desire to sort of take sort of to take the silver surfer stuff that he's doing but sort of cut it away from the Stanley over pathos. So there's something that's a lot more sort of subtly melancholic about Basima's vision and also much more of a dude of action than I would have expected. Like you get a much poutier vision as time goes on. And it's really built off of these cues of like, man, that guy, not only does he know how to sit in a chair, John Basima style. Oh, God, thank you for pointing that out. Basima is the king of people slouching in chairs. Oh, so good. So good. There, there's like two or three times where people are slouching in chairs and you're like, that is so great. Yeah. But do you remember that panel? There's a panel in a comic where the vision is standing up explaining to people and he's holding his cape behind him. Yes. You know, it's like from behind him and he's holding his cape in a way like it's a like it's a Roman robe, you know, and it's very much shows Basima's, you know, what Basima I Basima does not get the credit for the, the character work he does. Oh, he really does. He really, really does not. He, he has a very, very particular way the characters move and it's entirely unrealistic. And it's also entirely for all that he lifted from Kirby. Yes. It's very non Kirby. It's very His characters are so much more theatrical. Yeah. They're they're literally staged. They're they're so stagey in a life drawing gone yes. insane kind yeah. of way. There, there's there's something very um classical art mm-hmm. about the I, you have the you know, you have the characters sitting in the chair and they're never just sitting. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're slumped. Yeah. They're 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 sitting in a pose that is at once probably incredibly uncomfortable, but so visually interesting. Yeah, yeah, just fantastic. Or, or you have characters standing up, or, or you know, whatever. He, Basema's positioning of characters yes. is, is amazing, oh, and especially in these issues, oh, he's yeah. he's on fire. Like it's 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 top Basema in these issues. Also, 
did you notice that Basima like draws weirdly um how can I put this? Ugly, weirdly thick lipped men? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all it of his strange. male characters mm-hmm. have this very particular mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Strangely fish lipped in some cases. I mean it is a little bit like we were talking in that last episode where Hawkeye slowly starts to turn into Richie Rich. It's a very strict strange form of exaggeration that he does you know it's a shame we'll have to talk about this next time because there are things i want to talk to you about but Seema's storytelling knocked me out like there's i don't know if you noticed but there's like a couple of pages that i took snapshots of because i want to talk about it where like basima's way of telling the story like um, you know how like a lot of people do uh you know kind of the action taking place from left to right which is very common. Like mm-hmm. Basima in these issues does a lot of amazing depth of focus shots where the action takes place from like the for- from the background to the foreground. Yeah. Uh, and and which is stunning. He does a lot of three dimensional stuff in there. Or like there's there's a panel where he like I can't remember. It's it's some picture. I think it's one of his scenes of Goliath growing too big and banging his head into the ceiling where he flips the angle at it to make the action make sense. Like he really is just doing ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of storytelling within the panels that for the most part, when Thomas is smart, he plays off of and occasionally when he's not paying attention, he contradicts, which is mm-hmm. fascinating. It's it's. Basima is such a powerhouse in these issues. He really and, and, is. And you realize it very solidly when he's gone. I mean, yeah. seriously, I, there I can't nothing, even imagine. Th- nothing throws these issues into uh, relief as much as what immediately follows. Because they're like, and here's Barry Smith, who, to be kind, yeah. is not ready to follow Basima. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's... It's horrendous. You're, mm-hmm. you're just like, this is not the comic I was just reading. It's yeah. amazing, the difference. Yeah. And then Sal Basima comes on board, and he's it's weird. Like, he's, he's got enough of his brother's mannerisms that you're like, oh, it's kind of there. Right. Well, see, that's but it. It's, but it's, yeah, that, it, yeah it's, that is the thing that sort of shocked me so much. Is, is like I was like, oh, yeah, I like looking at John Basima's work, and I love looking at his stuff in Conan. And, but this is the stuff where it feels to me like he took these the, this set of Avengers issues so fucking seriously in terms of the way that he was just, like you said, he's a powerhouse. He's putting his all into it in the way of the way the characters are staged. But the choice, the storytelling choices blew my fucking mind. Because as a Conan fan, I've read a ton of Basima's work. And, you know, his stuff is, his stuff's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's not, but he really had this kind of thing of like, hey, maybe I can innovate here. And I, it sort of makes me sad that at some point he kind of went, well, guess not. You know what I mean? Well, and... part of me wonders if it's uh, Kirby left and then he's like, okay, so now you're doing Fantastic Four, be Kirby. Right. Probably. Probably. I think that, I think that is one of the things that is uh, a rough transition for Marvel is when Kirby leaves the pressure to make everyone into Kirby and do Kirby takes people like Rich Buckler and Basima and guys who are interesting in their own right and pressures them to flatten their stuff out. And I think for the most part, they, they respond at a certain point with a kind of 
demoralized resignation, I think, you know? Well, understandably. Yeah, I mean, why shouldn't they? The exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm doing what I'm what I was told to do, but my heart's not in it. I mean, yeah. you, you see people who just don't recover from that, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. reading the Nets, uh, the Nets few issues mm. and seeing it fall apart again Oof. is kind of fascinating. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's not like these 12 issues are amazing because it really does like all of a sudden just snap into place. Yeah. But what's amazing to me is that it just, as soon as Basima leaves, mm-hmm. it's like reading the pre, the issue 50 issues again. I, 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 it, God it, help it's, me, it's I kind of, cr- it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. read the next 12 and then mm-hmm. we'll, like the next podcast, we should just like devote, we could probably devote the entire podcast to it. Right. Because... Well, yeah, yeah. Although we've talked about a good chunk of it here, but yeah, let's, we're, you know, it's 25 issues or so every two podcasts. So we'll come back and we'll talk about issues 51 through 75 in a lot more detail. And unless the comics industry is burning itself down again, we'll get, we'll do that first thing and give it a good devoted chunk. So, because yeah, it's, it's, it's like 50 through 62 are fascinating, but they're all the more fascinating because things go wrong again. Yeah, exactly. To, to watch it, to watch it drop out. Amazing. Okay. Well, that's it, Graham. That, that, like you, you say that, like, that's it, that's it. That's I know. it. Okay. No more Wade Watts ever, anyone. Yeah. No, I mean, no We're more done. this episode. Like, okay, I'm literally going to stop talking. Like, cause I really, apart from feeling like I, I hogged this last 15, 20 minutes and made you go late, I'm also like, well, we should really go. So I love yeah, that right. church bells are going to end up in the background of this too, cause I assume you can hear that. No. You can't hear them? Oh my god, no. that's terrific. Okay, good, 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 okay. Oh, that's a shame. That would have been so traumatic. When you're editing <laughs> this, just put church bells in. I probably, I'll put like chickens clucking or something, you know. Uh, anyway, um, so listeners, check back with us in two weeks. We hope you enjoyed this. Um, thank you for continuing to listen to us. Uh, we think that there might be something wrong with the Savage Critic website such that people cannot comment. So feel free to shoot us tweets at... I'm a lazy bastard, uh, lazy bastard. No, wait, at lazy bastard. He's not at I am lazy bastard. At lazy bastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. Fine, Graham. And I'm going to correct your Twitter. Is and I am at Graham M, G-R-A-E-M-E-M. That's you, right? Uh, yes. Or you could email us at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please do. I, I, I sort of like the idea of I miss I miss having community conversations in the comments threads where it's it, like. It was, it was kind of weird, wasn't it? That people <laughs> couldn't leave comments. I it, it really was like, but but that's weird. Like, we, we do the podcast so people can get involved. And the, right. They exactly. can't comment. And it's we kind of uncomfortable. Stay out of it. Exactly. It's just kind of like, uh, did everyone quit us at once? You know, but even apart Maybe from that, did. Just, it could be, it could be, you know, can understand. That's embarrassing. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you should tweet us if you're on Twitter. Um, yeah. And we should probably like create a Facebook page for people who are on Facebook, I guess. I guess so. I, there's I things, should, right? There's things that um, we have to think of. People. Yeah, we we have to we have to take care of all of that. Um, we will be back in two weeks. We will talk about Avengers more. Uh, even we, consider that a taste of us talking about Avengers. And next time, 
you will hear us really sing the praises of John Brazima because you'll have something for us to compare it negatively against. <laughs> Just you wait. Also, for people who have access, whether through Marvel Unlimited or other means, uh, like the Essential Collections or whatever, um, Avengers from like 50 through like 75 is fascinating. Yeah. There's, there's some truly spectacularly good comics in there. And also, it's fascinating to see what happens when it goes off the boil so quickly. Yeah, so I think it really is, unlike the first 50 issues or so, in which Graham and I were like, well, it's a fascinating study in awfulness, or... Yeah, yeah, this is the time to jump on. Jump on it and issue 50 and and read along with us, because, yeah, there's some great stuff in there. Yeah, that we'll be babbling about even in more so... For now, though, bye! Yay! Okay. (laughs) Well done, sir.